From London to Lisbon, from Cape Town to Charleston, we tell the stories of the people that make the world of international law and business turn. We give glimpses into their lives and provide insights from their experiences. These accounts come from every sector in every industry around the globe. Simply put, and without further ado, I am Chris Campbell, and you're listening to Tales of the Tribunal, where practice meets personality. Hello, and welcome back to Tales of the Tribunal, the show where practice meets personality. I'm your host, Chris Campbell, here to tell you another tale, another story from around the wide, wide world of international law and dispute resolution. What is going on, gang, listeners, friends? You know, we are two seasons in. We need to come up with a name for the followers of this show. Tell you what. If you've got an idea for what listeners of this show should be called, head on over to the LinkedIn page, which I know y'all are already following and sharing with friends, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and leave a comment on today's episode about what we should call listeners of the show. On that same note, if you haven't already, as we warm up for today's show, scroll up to the top of this page where you're listening to this episode, and please give us a five-star review and leave a comment. It helps us out so much and it would help others find the show. Additionally, in other news, no pun intended, this was a big week for the show. We released the second episode of Disputes Digest, our spinoff show about events, opportunities, and news in international law and ADR. The episodes are five to seven minutes long and are full of relevant bite-sized information. Give it a listen. All right, as we introduce this week's episode, I have a question for you listeners. Are you ready? What if I told you, you can be an arbitrator today, like right now, and all you needed was a stable internet connection and a basic understanding of cryptocurrencies? Okay. If you like the sound of that, then this week's episode is for you. Claros is an online dispute resolution platform that provides exactly that. Using its cryptocurrency, would-be arbitrators, read jurors, sign up to be selected to adjudicate a dispute. But here's the catch. You only get paid if you vote with the majority opinions on the case. Interesting, right? Well, on today's show, you're going to hear from the founder of Claros, Federico Ast, and learn about his journey from creating Claros during the first half of the episode. And then in the second half, Sophie Knapper joins us once again and you'll hear about how Claros works, how you can get involved and what's coming next for the platform. So sit back, grab your digital wallet and enjoy my conversation with Federico Ast of Claros. We'll see you on the other side of the show. Hello and welcome back to Tales of the Tribunal with Chris Campbell. I'm your host, Chris Campbell, here to tell you another tale, another story from around the wide, wide world of international law and dispute resolution. With me today, we are doing a very special guest, a first time segment that we have done here on the show is a two-parter where we have one guest in the first half and then that guest in another in the second half of the show. So before I tell you more about today's episode, I should say our guest today is Mr. Federico Ast. Federico, did I get that right? Yeah, perfect. Uh, nice to be here, Chris. Great, and thank you for coming to the show. So uh, Federico is the founder of a company called Claros, which we'll talk a lot more about the substance of the company itself in the second half. But as we've had as a theme this season, he's the founder of a piece of legal tech that has been um, making its way into the international legal world. So Federico, without further ado, I'm going to ask you all the questions that I start all of my episodes with. Who are you? Where are you from? What do the people need to know? Good. Um, so my name is Federico Ast. I was born in Buenos Aires. Uh, I went to, to college, uh, studied economics and philosophy. Um, uh, and as I, when I was a young teenager, I wanted to be um, a writer. So I, when I graduated, I started working on online media uh, in one of the 
most important newspapers in Argentina and well in, in Latin America as well. Um, and there I was uh, doing. Um, uh, I was editor. I was very young and being an editor of a business section, kind of like fast company innovation startups um, section, and it was like the, my first um, work experience and a very interesting. Uh, way to start your career because you get the, the, the media gives you like lots of access to lots of different people and you get to learn a bit of, of everything uh, um, so then I, I but I got like a tire of, of working in media and I decided to go back to school to do a PhD and I did a PhD in business but um, what, what I really studied was collective intelligence and how people make decisions which was Kind of what was what I was interested when I was studying. So, and by that time, uh, you know, uh, Argentina. Has, you may have noticed that it has like lots of different problems with the currency and the government, and that. Um, uh, so when this Bitcoin innovation came out, and especially with this technology blockchain, some people in Argentina became immediately interested. Wow, it's a way to like um, use a currency that's not made by a government and that it's not being debased and you don't have it, this inflation all the time. So Argentina, the, the, like the Argentinian ecosystem of entrepreneurs and innovation was quite interested in from an early stage in this technology. And uh, so most people were interested in the financial aspects of, of blockchain, like Bitcoin and how to make payments and trade and all that. But I saw the technology that was underlying uh, the blockchain as um, like a way to basically transform corrupt, let me say, in, at least in my country, institutions, uh, like what's the justice system. So there were already people working with blockchain to make um, more transparent, uh, um, like uh, voting systems, like uh, uh, how to make a tamper-proof voting system with blockchain. But I was interested in this other part of of the of the governance of a society, which is like um, the the justice system and the legal system at, at large. And you got the the, the smart contracts uh, were very um, efficient for for doing this type of, of of reformation. And well, so I'm not a lawyer, uh, and I am um, yeah. But I got into into the legal industry and legal tech because of my. Uh, um, yeah, my interest in trying to to like uh, solve a very, very big problem that we had in in Argentina uh, and yeah, and in many countries in the world, which is like justice in inclusion. So uh, and that's yeah, and that's that's what um what my motivation for what I am doing now and uh, a bit about my story. That this is a, the story of a lawyer who uh, not not a lawyer but who went to start to to work in the legal industry um yeah and that's a bit and then after that well started cleros and well i i don't know if you want me to tell you all the story now or 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 uh you and, have more questions about so the, this background <laughs> and so the rest is history as they say <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. no that, that that's fascinating and i must say federico um of all the guests i've had on the show i think that one it, you, you might be the first one to answer all three questions at once, and, and I applaud you for that. Uh, <laughs> well, this is it's no, it's no um, then, <laughs> but 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 nevertheless. Um, so so what's interesting is about that is that you kind of talked about how how you you kind of found yourself making tech that is involved in the legal world, and you know I, I'm curious to know just as a, as a matter of habit, and maybe we'll discuss this a little bit more. Was there you know, a specific lawyer or what was the what was the push? I mean, was it just a truly a, just a personal interest or was there someone that sort of was the guide that, that kind of led you into that 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 sphere? So um, it was like um, I was interested in this like type of innovation about legal systems uh, generally, but there was one specific incident that uh, like pushed me to, to say, OK, I'm going to do this actually. So there was an um, uh, uh, attorney, uh, like a, a prosecutor that was, um, some say murdered, others say committed suicide while doing an investigation. It was a very, of course, high political uh, stakes um, uh, case. So, but like, and no one knew what happened. It was kind of, if you want, 
it was like the, the, the Kennedy assassination equivalent to Argentina, if you want, or, you know, it's very high, um, very high uh, level thing, very high profile. And um, like people were seeing, like, like if and no one, no one, nobody knew what happened because the, all the investigation was very corrupted and there were like political interests. But what, what I was thinking is, if this happens in really like high level case, what, what's left for the little guy who has a little problem and he needs to go to a lawyer and he can't afford the lawyer and he can't pay for all of the legal procedures? So like, um, so that was what. What I I say that the 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 main like uh, situation that pushed me into like actually going and doing what I was only thinking before, right? So sure, yeah, yeah. That, that was the motivation to start with, with Claros. Well, right, and I, and I think you know, do you estimate that the fact that you don't have you know that sort of traditional you know law school lawyerly background? Uh, could actually be an advantage, um, or, or is it something that you think kind of holds you back, or somewhere in between? Oh, I think it's an advantage. Um, if you if you see people who are innovating in in very different industries, like the people who built uh, Google, they were not like librarians, or the people who built Uber, they were not taxi drivers. So it's it's kind of um, normal that someone from another industry brings some new perspective on how to do things to to uh, to, to to this industry um so i think it's an advantage and of course i am um i, I am surrounded by lawyers who advise me in everything i need to know about law so it's yeah but my kind of my my way of seeing the the, the industry comes more like from the philosophy like aspect of like what Elon Musk some, sometimes calls the first principles thinking. So hmm. instead of like trying to see how to conduct like judiciary reform, like, okay, let's actually think how we should build a justice system from scratch. If we, so with all the tools that we have now and with, for the problems that we have now, because otherwise we are just reforming the, um, some institutions that were built in the 18th and 19th centuries uh, with, we're trying to just adapt them into some new world. It's kind of, you know what Henry Ford used to say, if I had asked the customers what they wanted, they would have said like faster horses. So kind of um, that's what reform ends up doing, which is okay. But building cars is very different. And I think that's what we are doing at Claros. Building the car for international arbitration. I like that, that's an interesting idea. Um, I think, well, that's certainly a topic we'll come back to, um, you know, in the second half when, when Sophie joins us to talk, talk Claros. Uh, one question I would have is that did you, did you think when you start out, out in this journey towards making even a pivot from being an economist to the, the, the legal world, did you think you were going to start a business? Is this something that you kind of just wanted to do or was it something that just sort of made sense? That's a, that's a really good question. And um, I think that uh, I, I knew that I was going to start a business, but a very particular like type of business because Claros is not a traditional startup. It's a cooperative. It's kind of a, it's, it's, it's halfway between like a startup and a political movement, if you want, because if it's a very community driven uh, like organization and uh, everything's very open, uh, everything is very, uh, everything can contribute. Some people come, continue for a while, and then leave. So it's kind of a, it's it's a business, but um, but not what you think about when you think about like uh, the traditional Silicon Valley startup uh, disrupting an industry. It's kind of more of a community-driven effort, and uh, yeah, it's a cooperative. Sure, and well, you know, I, I think you know most uh, tech entrepreneurs, and in particular. You know, even your Henry Fords or traditional entrepreneurs would say there's always a, an interview you can look back and say, well, what will be your next uh, your next big venture? Uh, you know, are, are, do you have any idea of what other industries you want to disrupt and, and bring revolutionary change to? Or, or, or is Claros, you know, taking the majority of your kind of thought now? I guess the, yeah, transforming the legal industry is a big enough of a, of a uh, yeah, challenge. Uh, I'd say that my interest is in all of the um, industries that are connected to how how humans organize uh so the 
Kleros is about how humans solve disputes and conflicts in a society. Other uh, interests of how humans vote um, and how humans organize to make collective decisions about things that are like uh, how we allocate resources that are scarce. So all of all of these are in, to my field of interest. Uh, but for now, on the foreseeable future, I, I'm just going to work on on Kleros and yeah, and legal matters. Sure. Um... Maybe I should have asked this from the outset. Maybe this is a very obvious question. Where did you come up with the name Kleros? What, what does Kleros mean? Well, Kleros, um, lots of the ideas that are into Kleros come from, uh, well, ancient Greek philosophy. Uh, because of I was the system of Kleros is loosely inspired in how courts used to work in ancient Greece. They had this system for randomly selecting jurors for cases, and they had a very specific procedure to make sure that there was no tampering with the jurors and that there were no collusion and all that. And so for this um, selection of, of jurors, they had a machine called the Cleroterion. It was a, a random allotment machine and where you, if you wanted to be a juror in a trial, you went to the courthouse, you put uh, an ID, it was a digit, a, a plague like this size, um, with your name on it, a bronze plate, and you put this into a slot, into a machine. There was a clotarium, it was like a two meter high uh, block uh, stone. And why is it called clotarium? Because uh, kleros in Greek means uh, randomness. So it was a random selection machine where then after you put your, your token, every potential juror puts their, their token into the slots. Someone threw some black and white dice uh, 20 faces dice, icosahedron dice, um, and if you had a, on your row a white one, you went to the jury. If you had a black one, you went home. So all this system, very carefully uh, constructed by the Greek, so it's uh, inspiration for Kleros, and that's that's why the the name of the project. Okay, no, that, that that's a, that's a great story, and most. Most uh, inventors or entrepreneurs usually have some interesting name. Um, kind of for, for, for this part of the conversation, um, Federico, I, I'll ask you to do a little bit of, um, you know, uh, divination to say, you know, what you think um, the impact can be here. In your opinion, what role do you think the blockchain will play in shaping the futures of dispute resolution? Um, you kind of talked about that more broadly um, early in our conversation, but what do you think? Does that answer change at all as if we consider a post-COVID age, you know, a time um, where things are a lot more digital than I think we thought they would be even a couple of months ago? Yeah. Um, so look at, look at us now. We're like having this um, uh, conversation in different countries and uh, I, Claro's team is distributed in like 12 countries and like the, we are still living in a world where uh, jurisdictions uh, of law are built basically on the national boundaries, right? Because that's, that was the, the specific place where the, the transactions and human interactions happened historically for like a long, long, long time. And so for very specific cases, yes, you had international arbitration because there were some big companies uh, that started to trade across the boundaries and then they, they had disputes, yeah. But like this is now happening on a daily, day-to-day -day basis to people like anyone. Anyone can be a, um, a provider of services uh, about to, like design or writing or programming to customers everywhere. So kind of the, 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 the jurisdiction that is important now is uh, like uh, where your interactions happen. So um, we, we are, this, this is a, a, a completely different world where you don't have um, uh, the, the, the tools for, for this to, um, to work, to, to solve disputes. They cannot be the, the old ones that we had in the 19th century. So why is blockchain important? Because blockchain provides a very important feature that traditionally, um, good governance system provided that is rule of law so when you have a, a good legal system you have complete previsibility uh, predictability of what's going to happen so you know if you do this then it's going to do this 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 and this and that is what's going to happen and so you have this 
this um, uh, judge, I don't remember the name now, uh, you, you will maybe remember, who said that for me, like when I speak about the law, it's only the prediction of what courts will do in a specific case, right? That's what I call the rule of law. Um, I will I will remember the, the name of the jurist later and I will tell you, but blockchain is kind of rule of law for the digital age because everything that is encoded in a blockchain is going to happen irrevocably as, as it's um, uh, like uh, coded. No one can tamper with it as, as the law should be in the analog world, right? This is what the law is expected to do. So blockchain gives you this for the digital world, and uh, this is why a lot of the legal institutions that are going to build in the coming years will need to be built on blockchain because you you want to make an agreement with you, uh, and I want we will choose, uh, for example, uh, arbitration seat. Uh, we want this arbitration seat to be um, transparent, right? And uh, we because we both need to trust this this arbitrator. And the fact that this is done on blockchain gives us both the, the certainty that no one, that the other party cannot tamper with, with the, the dispute resolution system, right? Because everything is encoded in, in a very secure technology. That's why blockchain is, is very important uh, for, for the future of law. No, that, that, that's great. And, um, you know, again, a couple of threads we, we might have to pick up in the, the, the second part, but, but thank you for that. Um, well, here's the, the million dollar question before we uh, before we pivot. Uh, do you think you'll go back and become a lawyer someday before it's all said and done? Oh, I, I don't I don't imagine I, I need to 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 become a lawyer. Uh, I am actually now a lawyer after building Kleros. So uh, I guess that um, no, I, and also uh, as we will see in the next um, like uh, part of the of the interview. So Kleros does not necessarily seek to replace lawyers. Eros addresses mostly disputes that are not addressed by lawyers because lawyers are not, if you want, technologically fit to, to resolve a number of, of cases that are very low cost or international. So um, I, I don't think I, I need to become a lawyer to, to help in justice inclusion. So yeah, I, I don't see myself going to law school, no. <laughs> no, that's fair enough, but oof not technologically fit i think that's the first time i've heard that that expression now that hurt a little bit um uh but 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 leaving that for there now um you know you've mentioned a, a number of, of thinkers and uh famous entrepreneurs um i'm curious to know do you have any folks that you would think i guess whether it's in business or just in philosophy that have kind of been guiding forces or role models to you uh role models i have like many uh like uh, writers and i i i i love um i i'm a big reader of uh political philosophy as i mentioned and um yeah people that over time thought how to make a society work better in uh in the economic sense in the um like a society sense, the political sense. So one of the like the people who mostly influenced on me was uh, um, Karl Popper. He has this excellent book called The Open Society and Its Enemies, which that is a story of how, um, yeah, how um, this, the struggle of, of mankind to keep like the society open and with opportunities for everyone and against the dark forces trying to do the opposite. So that's a, that's an excellent book. I recommend that to uh, to anyone. Uh, I I was um, also very influenced by um, by Hayek, the, the Austrian School of Economics. Uh, I drew a lot of from from there. I'm not. Uh, let me just say, I'm not an anarchist, as as many people just associate the Austrian School of Economics to anarchism. No, I am more more of a classical liberal. Um, then um, let me let me see. Then I. I I, I read a lot of um, classics, like I read a lot of Aristotle, of uh, Plato. I read a lot of. I, ha I had very a classic education, uh, in the sense of the, of what you would call in the Renaissance, like a humanist education, if if you want. And I think that that's something that really influenced me. And I and the thing is, also I read about everything. I, I read about. I read novels. I read. Um, 
I read uh, like essays. I read um, so everything. I, I was not very good at at math uh, when I was uh, young, which is kind of funny because what we do now uh, is really really math intensive, and there is uh, like lots of equations to understand how people behave. But um, but I'd say that uh, on the um, on the like uh, authors that influenced me side that's it and then i had lots of people who influenced me and who were me mentors in my career uh well sophie was a very good mentor of of, of me and she she is and uh and i had others who basically helped me go into the right direction uh first to claros and now at claros trying to help me make the, the right decisions for for the, the project to, to grow. So, um, yeah, I, I am the result of many, many people, I have to say. Well, sure, no, that, that's great. And I think that, you know, collecting different influences is something common of, uh, uh, of people with uh, that sort of drive. Um, you mentioned a lot of different things that you've read. What are you reading now? Okay, right now I'm reading um, two books. Um, one of them is called The Infinite Machine was was born and the early days of Ethereum and how the, the yeah how the project was was put together where the different members came from. Uh, that's that's if you people want to learn about blockchain and how these projects work and also about the cooperative uh, way of building stuff that we we do at Claros and that is inspired in how Ethereum works. So I I recommend that book. And I'm also reading um, a book is uh, more of a compilation of um, different essays. It's called Strategic Justice. It's about the use of game theory uh, in in the justice that we will. Well, I guess we will discuss that later. But uh, I'm, I'm reading uh, those uh, right now. Okay, no, that that's fascinating, and we'll link to uh, to those those titles in the show notes. Um, how about music? What kind of music are you into? What are you listening to? favorite artist oh, like I, I love um, I, I listen to a lot of classical music uh, I, especially when I when I go like uh, when I work uh, I don't have like time to sit and listen to music now but I like Bach uh, I like Mozart uh, I like uh, Handel uh, then I, I like jazz as well um, like Charlie Parker my Dave. Um, uh, I, I I don't I'm not very like um, not very uh, I, I, I don't know much of what people listen to now because well, I'm, I'm getting old and you I guess you just listen to what you used to listen when you were young so but you know I like I like also the Beatles I like the Rolling Stones and and what I like also one of I'd say one of my favorite um, bands is ACDC that's, that's okay. what I, I love <laughs> but yeah no, that, that's I, I don't great. have time okay. to, to listen to music now. <laughs> Sure. No, that that that's fair enough. That's uh, that's that's quite of a, a catalog. Okay. Well, you know, before we uh, you know, as we wrap this segment up, um, one one thing that I like I've been liking to ask, especially the the business folks that have been on this season, is if you were approached by you know a student or someone maybe similar to you, some PhD student that's thinking they they want to change careers or change disciplines, um, and they wanted to go into blockchain or or, or the similar sort of field that you're in. What would you recommend, or what would you suggest to them for how to get involved? So what what I would say is that uh, try to think what is your uh, thesis of where the world is is going to be in ten years, and try to take a job that basically uh, works in building that world in ten years. If you want to to work in the future of uh, law, and and you want to and, so try to look for a startup that is building um, the type of things that you want to work on. If you want to work on the artificial intelligence, okay, find a startup that works there and try to make a, like an internship with them and see what they are building, how they are thinking. Um, and so, yeah, I guess you need to be prepared for what's coming. Uh, and uh, what's coming is the world of technology. Uh, in every aspect of, of our lives, and uh, especially in the world of law, well, the, all this COVID situation just made the um, mindset a change that was, so yeah, I, I know this changed people's minds much faster than what would have otherwise happened. 
um, you know, having hearings over Zoom was like, I don't know, one year ago, that was impossible to think in many cases. Now it's happening. So, we you know, when you're in a situation of emergency, um, people are more open to change. So that future of law that seemed to be like uh, 30 years in the future, well, maybe it's now five years in the future because everything changed. So try to um, work into a project that is heading in the direction that where you want to 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 go to. No, sure, that, that that's that's great and that's profound. And I think that that's well said. Okay, I've got well, you know as we wrap this up, I've got one final super hard, extremely difficult question. Um, let's say that it is five p.m. on a Friday. You don't have any work to do. I know that's almost never true for a CEO. Um, <laughs> but you don't have any outstanding things coming up, pressing you for the weekend. Also, somehow there's no more COVID. You can do whatever you want. How would you spend your weekend? Oh, that's a very easy answer for me at, at this moment, because, you know, after being under lockdown for 160 days, I would just pick my car and drive to a resort in the, in the coast and go to the beach and walk on the forest. And so there are some places near Buenos Aires where you can do that. So I would definitely like, go there and uh, relax and maybe read some book uh, there in the beach, walk. So that's that, that would be my, at this moment, it would be my ideal uh, weekend, I have to say. Okay. No, that's that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Okay. Well, uh, tell you what, thank you for that. So thank you so much for uh, those insights and those questions, uh, Federico. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will have Sophie Nappert with us. And you two are going to tell us some more about Claros. Absolutely. Hey there, listeners. As many of you may already know, the start of the VSMOOT 2021 season is just a few weeks away. For coaches, arbitrators, moodies, and mooding enthusiasts alike, it's never too early to start making plans for the 2021 pre-mooting season. So make sure to put this one on your calendar. The Asian International Arbitration Center, AIAC, is hosting an annual pre-moot competition from the 5th to the 7th of March, 2021. Now, just like the VIS, it's going to be all digital. As a supporting organization, TOT is excited and looking forward to hearing all the fantastic and compelling arguments and seeing new Moody's and arbitrators joining the fray. Who will be this season's champion? You might just find out at the AIAC's virtual premoot. For more information or to register, email premoot at AIAC.world. All right, so we're back here after the break, and this is a, a new experience for the show in that we legitimately have a two-parter within an episode. Um, the first part of the episode is with Federico, who is still hanging out with us here in the digital studio. But now, Sophie from last week, that's Sophie, she is also with us in the digital studio um, here to talk a little bit more about Claros. You heard Claros brought up at the end of Sophie's episode and uh, throughout uh, Federico's episode. So um, we've heard about Claros. You've kind of talked about Claros. We kind of know what it is. I will put to the two of you, very simply, in a nutshell, what exactly is Claros? What does it do? What does it aim to achieve? I think Sophie should explain it better than me. <laughs> <laughs> So my understanding of from from the observer's perspective, and with the benefit obviously of of the dialogue that that I'm having, uh, the very um, the very interesting dialogue that I'm having with the Claros team and with Federico in particular, my understanding is that Claros seeks to position itself as uh, an access to justice vehicle for the world of e-commerce. For as I was explaining a little bit last week, I think uh, Chris, it it is um, very much there to um, offer a service uh, to those uh, disputes that are high high volume and low value, that are across border borders uh, uh, amongst people who don't know each other, may never see each other again, may never interact again and who have a claim for let's say under a thousand dollars or even under five thousand dollars to which um, a lot of state courts uh, even in the developed jurisdiction in which i am uh, sitting um, just cannot cater to because it's too expensive and too slow 
uh, that's very much, I think, where... Uh, now, the interesting thing about Tales, and I'm sure that Federico will... It, it seems an obvious thing, but uh, it isn't, uh, is that it relies on human judgment. Uh, and in that, uh, it positions itself, again, in a different space from the um, artificial intelligence decision-making uh, that, that that is also uh, being developed. Um, and, and that is a very interesting feature uh, of Claro. So I'm gonna I'm gonna end here, and obviously Fede can uh, can tell us whether I've I've got it wrong. <laughs> I think that was better than what I could like explain. Uh, yeah, that's um, perfect. So uh, Claro is basically a um, decision uh, making uh, protocol that seeks to solve this uh, very important segment of the dispute happening in the world because of why? Because of globalization, digital economy. You have lots of people working for uh, other people around the world. Uh, a freelancer in Argentina like, doing some uh, work for uh, contract for a customer in Portugal. So, and if we have, there is a dispute in that contract, you're not going to court in Argentina or Portugal. You're not going to call an arbitrator like Sophie to solve like a $2,000 dispute. So, you, the, the world that is globalizing and becoming digital needs a piece of infrastructure, um, of speed resolution infrastructure that can solve this rising, uh, yeah, um, the world of, uh, of transactions happening across borders, which is going to be uh, accelerated in the future as cryptocurrencies become more mainstream and people can like transfer value from anywhere to anywhere at a very cheap uh, cost. Um, so. Claro seeks to become, if you want, a justice system brackets, <laughs> uh, for um, that kind of, uh, of new economy that is, is emerging right now. So, so Federico, you, you kind of mentioned it there to, to some extent, but for Claros, are there any sort or of specific types of disputes that are that are the focus of Claros and that Claros aims to resolve, or what are some of the ideal sort of disputes that the the, the Claros is targeted for? Sure. So the, the, the like the main the core target of disputes is all of these disputes um, that happen within the the cryptocurrency ecosystem, like people buying and selling uh, services across the, the borders uh, on the cryptocurrency uh, industry. So these people already know how to use cryptocurrencies. They are like used to, to all of this, um, yeah, to, to how to send money and in, in crypto, how to receive it, and how to potentially use a, a, a application built on cryptocurrencies like, like Claros. So all of this service providing, like translation work, um, like uh, e-commerce, uh, e uh, building websites for other people, programming uh, things, for example. So the, all that, is the, the main focus of, of Claros. Um, and then in the future, um, at, the, at the end, Claros is basically a protocol that's a number of incentives for people to uh, do, um, make decisions in an honest and fair way. And uh, so this potentially have has lots of uses in every everywhere. Like you can use Claros for insurance claims. So there's like a dispute between a customer and an insurance company of, on whether this contract should be paid by the insurance company or not. So you need, you need some uh, decision-making uh, device that is uh, cheap and because many of the insurance claims are like for a couple hundred of dollars. Think car insurance, who should pay for the repairment, for the repair of something. So that that kind of uh, disputes can totally be done by, by Claros. Think of all the uh, disputes that are handled by um, ombudsman, like a customer and uh, utilities company charged more than what he expected and there's a dispute there. Think of uh, the customer against a credit card company because he's being charged by, yeah, for something he didn't buy, basically. So there are lots of um, small claims that are currently addressed by um, existing methods that could potentially be done by, by Claros in a cheaper, faster uh, way. Um, so in the future, um, a bunch of this, this is going to be resolved by automated tools like machine learning uh, and others that are looted for machine learning solved by Claros and others are going to still be solved by traditional resolution uh, methods.
Well, that that's great, and um, and what what that kind of spurs in my mind, Federico, is uh, is actually back to Sophie's answer for a moment. Um, when she talked about uh, you know that it that, that there are people actually making these decisions as opposed to you know some of some sort of automated process. How does Claros make sure to get the right jurors and the right decision makers to help make these decisions? Well, that's the secret sauce behind Claros. Uh, because the jurors who um, participate in Claros, so they don't have to disclose their ad identity and they don't have to prove that they have the right skills solving um, the, the dispute where they are drawn, right? So this is uh, the, the, the thing. How do you make sure that people who are anonymous uh, um, that, and they don't have to, 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 to prove to you that to resolve the dispute where they are going to be jurors, how do you make these guys to make fair decisions? So what Claros does is it uses economic incentives in order to produce that is uh, adequate for solving the dispute. So let's say you are um, uh, an expert in websites and you want to make some money by being uh, um, arbitrator into a Claros disputes about websites, right? So you have to call Pinakion, the name comes from the token I mentioned before about Greek, the uh, token that they used to be drawn uh, as jurors. And you have to deposit this token into a court that is about website disputes, right? So uh, this, this token gives you the right to be drawn as juror uh, randomly. And there's going to be a lot of people who are going to deposit their token to be drawn. And then Claros is going to randomly select, like let's say, five jurors for, for the case. And so now you have to analyze the evidence, like the, 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 the contract between parties, the product that was the, um, delivered by the contractor, and then you're going to analyze it and vote. And your vote, and this is the magic trick of Claros. When, in order for you to, to make money, you need to guess how the other jurors that were drawn in the case are going to vote in the specific uh, case, right? If, if you vote in the majority, you recover the token that you deposited and you get a arbitration fee that comes from the losing party of the dispute. If you vote different from the majority, uh, so you lose, you, you get no money, right? So um, think of this, all of the jurors are going to vote independently and they're going to see the same evidence. So um, what, this, what, what this system generates is the incentive for each of them individually to try to um, to see what is the what is the truth about the dispute because that's the only way you have to 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 coordinate with the rest the only way you, you have is to think what is the truth about the, the evidence you have at hand and the and the contract and and, and that's um that's the only way you have to to coordinate with the rest and if what what is what this prevents Say that you wanted to vote like randomly. Okay, I'm going to not not look at the evidence and vote A, B, B, it doesn't matter. So you are very likely to, in a coherent way because you, you may guess over time you're going to be different from the majority and they're going to lose your talk. So what this creates is the incentive uh, for uh, each of the jurors make a honest effort in the evidence and voting because if they don't do it, they will lose money, right? And this is sure. So why why Claros like this? This is an important point because to address a number of uh, disputes that happen, as we mentioned, global economy, lower value disputes. So you need something that is very very efficient. You need something that works in a very um, not not like twenty percent more efficient than courts. Like you need ten x more efficient. And with this method, Claros can achieve that ultra efficiency that makes the very low value cases arbitrable, right? Um, traditional ODR systems are basically like courts on Zoom. Uh, so, and they are, of course, more efficient than existing go to court, uh, but they're not good enough $500 dispute, right? Um, so that, that's how it works. It's very different from, from uh, traditional solution, but at the same time, it's the right method for the right type of, of case. So there's no other way to, to resolve a lot of, of this dispute. Right. And, you know, how how does Claros go about, or one that uses Claros, go about enforcing 
the award or the decision of the the jury or the arbitrators? Is it that the money has to be put into escrow, I guess, or or what does that process look like? Yeah, the, the, the putting the money into escrow, and then uh, if there is no dispute, the money is sent to the to the uh, contractor. But if there is a dispute, the money stays locked into the escrow, and a jury is selected. This jury is going to make a decision, and then this is going to be to enforce the yeah the money is going to be sent automatically to the winner and everything secured by smart contract so we were speaking before why blockchain is important in this case because it provides the 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 yeah the guarantee that the money is going to be transferred to the winner of the case so and no one can do anything about that and blockchain can do that very very cheaply so um but you know, you could in the end think of other ways of, of enforcement. Um, let's say you and I make a, a contract. Um, we we don't use cryptocurrencies. Um, then we agree that Kleros is going to make the decision. So Kleros makes a decision, and then you say, oh, I'm not going to. Well, you have maybe a reputational uh, cost for um, repudiating the decision made by the arbitrator that you voluntarily selected, right? So there are. The main way for enforcement of Claro's rulings, of course, smart contracts, but humans have de decided different ways of making enforcement, and there are different options. Well, no, perfect, and that's a great segue uh, to, to, to asking Sophie. Uh, before we get into that point in particular, um, how did you get involved with Claro's, and uh, what is your role with the company? I don't have an official role. Um, Kleros is a community, as uh, as Federico mentioned, uh, and I am, I think, uh, part of that community. Um, it's a very welcoming community. It's not uh, does not discriminate even against lawyers. Uh, and I I am privileged, though, to um, to have had this opportunity to uh, exchange uh, with um, the core team of Kleros try to find uh, paths of alignment that would make their model, uh, I wouldn't say compatible because we're still a little ways away from that, but um, aligned, I would say, with uh, notions of, uh, more traditional notions of justice off-chain. Uh, enforcement in the real world is one of them. Uh, fairness, essentially due process. Uh, so those notions are, uh, what what uh, Federico and I have been um, exchanging about and publishing about. I got involved um, uh, with uh, Kleros because um, I have been, uh, as I explained uh, last week for the past couple of years, very interested in the impact of technology in my field. Uh, and I um, co-authored with one called Paul Cohen, uh, articles on how arbitral, the arbitral decision-making was being um, impacted by artificial intelligence and blockchain. And that led to a lot of um, speaking engagements on that topic. Uh, and what, at one of those um, engagements, I was giving a keynote address on that topic in uh, Brussels, at which um, Clarice's uh, co-founder with Federico, someone called Clément Lesage, uh, was also invited. And I said to myself, uh, I, if I'm going to be, this is finally an opportunity for me to speak to someone who's not a lawyer. Who is a creator of of that um, of that phenomenon called Kleros, and I have been because speaking to lawyers is great, but at the end of the day, unless you speak to the people who who are at at the very core of the creation of that model, they won't understand how lawyers think, and lawyers won't understand how they think. So that's when I joined Telegram chat, tried to understand what it is that animates uh, the Kleros community, the thing, the things that they um, that really spurs them on, the, and 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 then got in in um, in discussion with Kleros uh, with uh, Federico because I started speaking about Kleros as, as a model uh, quite a lot in uh, my university. Um, my university uh, lectures uh, and and looked at young law students like were looking at me like this uh, saying <laughs> what on earth is that? <laughs> uh, and the thing that keeps me interested uh, in in Kleros is because first of all there's a lot of brain power behind that project 
uh, and I'm not saying this to flatter Federico. I think he knows because of the time and, and the effort that everybody. It's not because uh, of me, the brain power. She speaks of, of other team members, I'm sure. Well, there, whatever, wherever it is, it's there. And I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one saying it because Kleros has been uh, awarded uh, earlier this year um, two very prestigious grants. Uh, one of which by the EU Commission and the other one by a French investment, state investment bank in order to um, try to scale up their, their model into a more mainstream arena and notably into disputes that are not simply binary disputes. So disputes are a little bit more complex. So this is very much a model that is, I think, uh, belongs to the future of dispute resolution. And I think it is, for me, a source of immense satisfaction, intellectual and otherwise, just to be able to see it developing and to see how now, I am not, as Federico knows very well, uh, a, a, a com completely brainwashed by Kleros because there are several tension points in the model of which he is completely aware that we, that we are discussing. I worry about the fact that disputants in the model lose control of their dispute um, in the hands of jurors uh, who are financially incentivized for their own ends to arrive at a solution. Uh, uh, disputants don't even have control on the appeal of their decision. Jurors can appeal the, it, it as well if they, considers that, they consider that it's more advantageous for them. I worry about that. I, I, the, I, the objectivization of justice to me is a source of concern, but I don't think it's insurmountable. Uh, and I think the fact that we can talk about it and discuss across disciplinary boundaries is, is uh, an enormous opportunity and, and a chance for me. No, I, I think that, that that that's fair, and especially uh, considering uh, you know being part of that community, I think that that that's well placed. Um, you know, Federico, this this question might be uh, more, more suited at your feet. Um, currently, what is the user base like for for Claros? Um, you know, in terms of the users and uh, the jurors. So, for now, um, there must be about 400 jurors who participate on a regular basis in the, in the different cases. And uh, yeah, so it's it's still, uh, as I always say, it's small, it's experimental, uh, but um, now that we have seen it working uh, in a number of, of use cases, um, ready to start scaling, right? Uh, because um now we know that it provides solutions cost effective for a number of, of of disputes yeah time the goal for the for the companies try to to scale this and as sophie mentioned before one way to do it is to address mainstream cases doing a um, pilot with an insurance company for example with that it's not a crypto insurance company so all the crypto industry uh, use cases we know them very well and, and we know that Claros works, but they are still a very small market because there are not that many users in the in the blockchain space. So the way to scale from now on is try to add more mainstream use cases where applicable, of course, help Claros become larger. Sure, I know that, that that's great. Speaking of uh, those those neutrals, how does one uh, how does one become a neutral? How does one get involved if they wanted to start helping resolve disputes? Oh, you! I what I would recommend is that you should join the the Claros Telegram group, uh, and then there you can like ask for 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 questions to, to members of the community. Um, the main way to do it is like you have to buy the cryptocurrency. Uh, so first you have to be a bit acquainted with uh, with crypto and ether in particular, and then you have to buy some of the Claros. Uh, currency, and then you have to stake the Claros currency in a court where you have the expertise to, to resolve the cases, and then just wait for the Claros random algorithm chooses you to be a juror, and then you get an email and you and it says you have been chosen for jury duty, right? Uh, and the good thing about this jury duty is that people want to be a juror because they do it voluntarily. It's not that they do stake, you get the jury duty call, and then you can access an interface where you can read all of the um, evidence uh, and then after you vote if you vote coherently with the majority then you get your money back and you get a fee of, of arbitration if you don't then you lose your your deposit so that's that's how you start you know and I, and I don't know who, who would be the best person to take this one um, can, can one of you tell me a little bit more about this uh, Claros uh, fellowship of justice 
um, and what, what, what that program is all about. Okay. Sure. So, um, as I, I mentioned, Kleros is um, at, the, at the core, it's a decision making system that produces decision in a neutral way. Uh, so, and this can be used for like a really lot of use cases that we don't even know um, of uh, at the core team. So, as we mentioned that uh, this is for e-commerce, for, for insurance, for finance, for lots of things. So, the fellowship program is a short study program where different people can attend. They can count on the support by the team of Cleros to produce some specific research about some specific use case of Cleros. So you apply and so we had people from many different countries uh like let me just tell you some of them uh like one of them mauricio from from guatemala he researched how to use cleros for uh, disputes in the renewables energy industry right mm. uh, there's another one called abir uh, who did a research about how you could potentially use cleros for price review panel gas uh, arbitration uh there is another one uh, from Mexico, called Mauricio as well, that he researched how you can use Cleros for resolving disputes uh, in like uh, landlord-tenant disputes in in Mexico. So that's another one. So there is another one uh, who uh, is um, researching how to use Cleros in the Venezuela, uh, you know, justice system or or lack thereof. So he's a student at Stanford. Um, He's called Luis, and he's Venezuelan, and he like uh, there are lots of this. So there's not a functioning justice system in Venezuela, and so he and a group of people at Venezuela want to use Cleros. This gives some, uh, yeah, some kind of resemblance of system for some commercial disputes happening. And it's, so I mean, there I are other people. Sorry. Let me just say, this and then, oh sorry, uh, the goal is to bring people who know the, the real use and so that they can think how they can apply Cleros to all of these different uh, uh, situations. Because we are the team, we know how the system works, how the incentives work, but we are not aware of all the potential uh, applications of Cleros. So the fellowship to bring that those brains to to yeah to, to think about uses cases of Cleros different. Go ahead, Sophie. I just wanted to add, I think it's important to say this, that the Fellowship of Justice is in its, its third uh, installment. Uh, so there's been two, um, am I right, Fede? I think it's, yeah, the third the third uh, bunch of people. And the, the two earlier bunch uh, of people have produced uh, very interesting reports that can be read in a book called Dispute Revolution uh, that Claros edits. Uh, and one of these uh, in the first uh, installment uh, was um, a lawyer, uh, I don't know where from, called Dmitry, maybe Russian or Ukrainian, I'm not sure, uh, Russian. who, uh, Russian, who uh, looked at the alignment of Claros decisions with uh, the New York Convention and enforcement under it. Uh, so big questions, uh, not simple questions sure. by any means. Um, so, but also, I mean, that's obviously, the legal side and there you know there are other uh, fellows who look at the computer science side as well uh, you know other the other aspects of the business uh, it is a very to me very emblematic of how receptive Claros, the Claros team is to other ideas but also to challenges to criticism constructive criticism obviously but um, it, that that is not uh, the hallmark of every startup out there and it's quite it's quite uh, refreshing to see that no that that's that's great um, and that's uh, that sounds like a great opportunity for folks that are interested in this field and and uh, have some of that imaginative sort of mindset that was uh, the impetus for Claros in the first place um, this this final question, as we wrap up here, is uh, you know I told you mentioned to you, Federico, I was going to ask you to take out your crystal ball again. Um, how do you see, or where I guess maybe most simply put, when will Claros be considered a success in your mind? Um, what what stage? Where 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 do you see that um, that sort of metric being? So um, in my mind, it's going to be considered a success where it is used by people to to secure their transactions um, and it will give access to people um, access to justice in a number of situations that i think are very important and i'd say this 
and coming back to the first questions you asked me <laughs> at the beginning. So like I am from a, I'm, I am from Argentina. I come from an emerging economy, and um, lots of people like in Argentina and Latin America, Africa, lots of Asia. So they are they have this opportunity to start working um, for the world now, right? It was typically it was very hard to do that, and now but. Now you can like educate yourself like with online YouTube videos. You can learn how to code websites or whatever, and then you can find customers uh, in the world, right? And they can hire you. But like, why would a guy from the I know uh, U.S. or Germany or uh, U.K. or hire a guy from Argentina? But because they don't know if uh, why if they hire the guy and the guy doesn't do the job, so now they. So they will not come to Argentina to court against the, the contractor. But now if they have this Claro system that can uh, give them the yeah the certainty that if the job is not delivered as as um, is uh, as, was, as was promised, they can recover their money. So now they will start to hire people from different places to to do work for them. So this is uh, so and this is a aspect of Claro that comes from the cryptocurrency industry, like this this way to um, uh, democratize access to things that were before were only um, yeah that only people in the first world had access people now in Argentina can make payments in cryptocurrency uh, at low cost and that was not the case before so I will I will I will think that uh, Claro is a success when a big part of these transactions are done through Claros, and this gives people, workers from around the world, the chance to work for, for anyone. And for them to be chosen because of their skills and their passion for work and not because of where they are geographically located, right? Uh, and then that's on one side. And on the other side, um, I would love to Claros to become small part of the existing solution system of uh, of nation states like uh, as i mentioned like customer against a utilities company uh, against an insurance company so those those kind of 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 day-to-day -day small claims that are not resolved correctly now if claros can contribute a bit uh to give more access to rights to, to people in those cases i would consider it a success that's fair enough. Well, as we um, as we wrap up here, um, and I, I, we can start with Sophie and then Frederico, you can uh, back clean up. Um, bold predictions as we head into uh, the next five, and we're in a new decade now with 2020. As we head into this new decade, bold predictions over the next five, ten years um, for the world of dispute resolution. Goodness me. Um, I think uh, more disruption. Um, and more um, questioning of, uh, of uh, current dispute resolution models. At the same time, the challenge is it's easy to disrupt, right? And, and uh, the legal world is such an easy one to disrupt, so rigid, so silo-like. Um, but you have to, you have to preserve um, order, uh, a peaceful settlement of disputes, the oils of commerce turning and fairness. And that's the challenge. It's easy to, to just arrive and throw grenades, obviously, but to keep things moving in an, uh, you know, a peaceful fashion is, is the real challenge and to do better than, than we're doing now. Sure, no, I think so, that, that's great. That's well said. <laughs> I don't know what's like bold. I, uh, one year ago, we wouldn't have imagined that people would be having hearings over Zoom, so like I don't know what five years from not, not ten, but five years from now, who knows what's going to happen? I think that um, I've been working at decentralized justice for like five years, and I, I in the beginning I saw people thinking I was crazy, uh, that and then some people started to believe, and you know that's how it that's how it works. Uh, I guess that now uh, after COVID, people are starting to be more open to. Uh, different ways of doing things, and also because of new generations coming to to uh, the work force, 
And you know, the new generations, they already are used to do everything on their phones. So I, I didn't want to go to, to a physical court to solve a dispute, you know, they want to do it as they do it on Amazon. So this is something that is going to happen. And you know what, what, what when it happens, it's going to happen very fast because the replacement is going to be very fast. And uh, so it's, this is not like uh, science fiction. This is something that is going on. And I think that the COVID uh, situation showed us all that the future is like sooner than we expect. The future is now. The future is now. And so we, we were looking at technological disruption here over the next five to 10 years in dispute resolution. Well, I think that's great. I think those are good predictions and, and uh, we'll, we'll come back in 10 years and see if, uh, if, the, if those were true. Um, well, Sophie now for the second time and Federico for the first time, um, we have reached the end of our time together. Thank you both for uh, stopping by the studio. Uh, Sophie, we've heard your shout outs in the last episode. Federico, do you have any shout outs you'd like to give before uh, we get out of here? Uh, thank you, Chris, for, for inviting me. I am Federico Ast, and there is no disputing it, and you are listening to Tales of the Tribunal. Thank you so much, and we will see y'all next time. So, that was my conversation with Federico Ast of Claros and Sophie Napper, part two. It was great having them both in the digital studio. And I gotta say, I'm intrigued by Claros. I'll have to give it a try sometime and maybe we'll do a special series reporting my experience. One last thing before we get out of here, a huge thank you to Arbensol, Arbitrator Intelligence, and De Almeida Pereira for hosting the panel, Diversity in International Arbitration, Broadening the Scope, and inviting me to speak along some familiar TOT faces, Catherine Rogers, Rose Ramal, and Amanda Lee. Patricia Shaughnessy did a great job with the opening remarks as well as all of her other comments. And it was a pleasure to meet the other co-panelists, Sandra Friedrich and Harut Samara. Last but not least, hats off to Kirsten Teo and Ashan Madan for keeping us all in line. Y'all did a great job. If you have any questions or comments for the show, drop by the LinkedIn page and send us a line or shoot us an email directly at talesofthetribunal at gmail.com. Tales of the Tribunal is produced by MoBeta Solutions. Show music is done by Joshua and Jaden Campbell. Our research assistants are Romit Kohli and Amar Singh. That's it for this week. We have just two episodes left in season two, and you won't want to miss them. I'm Chris Campbell, and there's no disputing it. You're listening to Tales of the Tribunal. <laughs>